We believe that if providers of international payments disclose the total cost of sending money abroad, there would be a lot more consumer awareness of those fees, therefore a lot more comparison shopping that would drive down prices from the competition that results. It's not just WISE that believes this. The international community, the World Bank, the UN and others have called for this as well. This issue, it's a policy issue that deserves more attention. Making sure government doesn't screw things up. Julie Greenberg, and I am the co-founder of FinTech Today. And I'm John Pitts, Global Head of Policy at Plaid. And this is the policy podcast where we dive into all things FinTech policy. Or as much as we can cover in 20 minutes. In today's episode, we are joined by Nick Catino of WISE, formerly known as TransferWISE, in case you missed that whole name change thing that happened in 2021. Um, he is global head of policy at WISE, which, you know, we were talking in the pre-show, John, that title sounds very familiar to you. <laughs> it sounds like a ridiculous title, I think. Uh, anyone who is willing to publicly attach themselves to that title really uh, is cruising for a bruising. Although I actually feel like maybe we should be do the, doing the Spider-Man meme here where we're just pointing at each other as to who's global head of what. Well, I think if you have that title, you are meant for this podcast, too. So so it's going to be a good episode. Uh, Nick, let's start out. So as I was saying before the show again, is that, you know, pretty much anyone that listened to this podcast probably knows what WISE is, but let's give a little bit of a background on um, what all you guys are into and sort of areas of your policy focus there because, you know, you started out as a payments company, but there's so much else that you guys are, are doing now as well. Sure. Julie, John, thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan of you both uh, and your organizations. So WISE, for those that don't know, is a global payments technology company. We're building the best way to move money around the world. We're, pe- we're popular with people and businesses who live, travel, and work internationally. We were started in London a decade ago, now have more than 11 million customers, moving more than $8 billion every month, saving themselves more than $1 billion compared to typical bank fees. Uh, And it's not just consumers using WISE either. Uh, We also power uh, large enterprises. Banks are powered by WISE integration with Google Pay, accounting platforms like Xero, a number of banks and credit unions has brought the WISE infrastructure uh, to, to more customers. So really excited about our continued growth. Uh, you know, My work at WISE, as you said in the intro, global head of policy, often think about my work uh, as having three main functions to it. Uh, one, yes, that's policy. I think of that like being a think tank, thought leadership, payments modernization. How do we advance those ideas and topics? Two uh, is campaigns. That's something like a consumer group at times, uh, getting grassroots consumer advocacy, forming coalitions, trying to raise the profile of some of the key issues uh, that that matter uh, to the future of payments. And then three is government relations. That's the in-house corporate advocacy, working with trade associations, uh, trying to bring consensus to policy issues uh, in Washington and, and in our case around the world. Uh, so thanks again for having me. Excited to be here and, and happy to talk more, talk more about uh, policy. So uh, 
I know we're supposed to talk about policy, but honestly, Nick, the thing I'm most interested in is the second thing you mentioned, campaigns, because um, it's one of the things that strikes me as being somewhat unique about WISE in terms of your strategy. I don't see a lot of other companies doing this. And, and just to give you an example, you know, uh, we bump into each other occasionally and you all have a product that in some ways kind of speaks for itself. I remember a, a colleague of mine uh, was talking about having to buy a house uh, in Portugal and he said, oh, it was actually easier for me to transfer the money from a Portuguese bank to an English bank and then back to another Portuguese bank using WISE than it was to transfer it between two Portuguese banks, easier and cheaper. And that <laughs> – kind of speaks for itself, but you guys don't let it speak for itself. You do incredibly public campaigns on fee transparency, on speed of transfers, basically on what's broken in the international payments market. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like why you do that element? Like why make it public? Why make it a campaign instead of just writing a nice white paper or – sort of letting the product be adopted by people who know it and love it. Yeah, well, well, thank you for that, John. You're always uh, very kind uh, about our efforts and, and the feeling is, is certainly mutual about your efforts on open finance. Uh, so first take a step back to why WISE was founded. You identified it there. International payments are broken. We were founded to help fix that problem. Uh, WISE was actually founded after a transfer gone bad. Our CEO, Christo, moving money from pounds to euros, uh, mistakenly lost 5% of his money because he didn't realize how badly exchange rates were inflated. Turns out most people don't. Consumer research over and over again has shown us that's the case. So for us, this is part of, uh, you know, uh, yes, our origin story, but it's it's key to our mission uh, today. And so when when I took this job, and, and uh, or really, I should say, uh, first applied for it, uh, didn't expect to find running consumer education campaigns, uh, you know, a typical transition for someone like me. That, that is atypical, as you know, in, in our line of work. And, uh, you know, really a lot of that is about getting consumers, uh, some of whom are our customers, not all are, uh, engaged and activated, signing petitions, reaching out to policymakers, being active on social media, uh, call, calling for changes to fix this broken system, uh, which means eliminating uh, hidden uh, exchange rates. Ultimately, we believe that if uh, banks, providers of, of international payments, disclose the total cost of sending money abroad, there would be a lot more uh, consumer awareness of those fees. Therefore, a lot more comparison shopping that would drive down prices from the competition that results. And it's not just Wise that believes this. The international community, the World Bank, the UN, and others have called for this as well. So that, that's where it starts is this issue uh, is, is uh, you know, it, it's a policy issue that, that deserves more attention. And so, uh, you know, we are not doing this for, uh, you know, our, our own self-interest. We, we are trying to fix a broken uh, system. And, you know, so that authenticity, I think, is really key. Uh, and then ultimately, I, I do think this approach of pulling together consumers grassroots activism, getting other companies, organizations, consumer groups, immigration groups involved in these discussions, whether that's joint letters to regulators, white papers, 
uh, talking about it uh, on at conferences or on a podcast, uh, all of that. You know, we try to be public and transparent about our efforts, uh, and and you know, ultimately that helps raise the profile of the issue that might not otherwise get attention. Right? Hidden hidden fees in international payments doesn't sound like the sexiest of issues, but uh, by raising its profile and, and doing it in an authentic way uh, can help drive some of those outcomes. It's fascinating because you're talking about an issue that some groups care about and regulators have the po- the the power to fix it, presumably, right? So I, I'm guessing one of the things you asked for is mandated transparency in pricing. I've seen that in wise campaigns before. If you've got these outside groups that that care about it, but they haven't been able to drive change, what's the difference that you all bring to that? Like, how 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 do you see your role in getting regulators to actually act when they haven't acted in the past, even though the ask has effectively been the same? Like, what's the barrier there that you all break down? Well, as you know, Paul, the policy is on our side. Uh, you know, and I always believe good policy is good politics. But good policy alone is not enough to drive political change. You need to create political incentives. And I've learned that over time in my career. I'd be curious what, what you think as well. And that political incentive comes from the, the, the things we've talked about today, you know, bringing a broad coalition of organizations who care about this uh, and not just industry either. Right? I, I mentioned the international community, consumer groups, immigration group groups, and then those grassroots supporters. That creates a serious political incentive for policymakers to act because you know when you're talking about grassroots support, that's ultimately voters. You know, and and, and those things combined uh, create an incentive for for those elected officials to act. Well, and has it gotten easier lately to do this? Just given even over the past year, year and a half, how much larger and more impactful. Uh, fintech has been in just like an average person's life? Has it been easier to drive up that grassroots interest and get people involved and have policymakers listen? I, I think so. Everyone has, has written about uh, the, the shift to, to g- digital that's happened, of course. But what's driving that is because consumers want it. And so you also find uh, financial institutions, banks, credit unions, uh, you know, l- large, uh, large enterprises, their customers are demanding it. So they're looking for solutions as well. So that has also helped drive, uh, you know, not just uh, customers to platforms like Wise, but also those, those partners uh, who know their customers want it. And that's actually raised attention around this issue as you have more players in the ecosystem starting to pay attention uh, to, to this being, this being a, a problem that people get ripped off when they send money abroad and, and hadn't realized it previously. Uh, now, having said all that, the people that are aware are those that have already realized that these hidden fees exist in international payments. It's not like uh, I, I saw uh, Bradley Tusk was on your podcast last week with Uber or FanDuel, online gambling. Those are services that were about to be shut off. So when they led campaigns, they were trying to tell people, unless you contact your policymakers, this service will no longer exist. Right. This that's thing you cool. love is going away. Save it, save it, save it. Yeah. It, that, that's a, you know, probably a little bit easier of an ask to get some sort of grassroots engagement. For us, uh, you know, the, the challenge is convincing people that even though you have solved the problem for yourself, there's other people getting screwed. That's why we need to take action. That, to me, more closely aligns with what the consumer groups have done on issues like overdraft 
and, and payday lending and others. So, so this is where the incentives thing is actually really interesting me in terms of those those policy and political incentives because I, I don't know if you hear this, Nick, from people who are outside of D.C., but like sometimes incentives of regulatory agencies are like a complete mystery to people, right? They, they, they believe like, oh, they have a corrupt incentive. Oh, they're trying to like protect the big wire transfer. I don't know if, if you have such a thing as like big wire transfer when you think about it. Or they're trying to protect the banks or they're trying to like do something for some ulterior motive. My experience has been that uh, government regulators are focused on and this is funny to say, we have extremely limited resources and it takes forever for us to use those resources. And therefore, we can only use those resources on the biggest problem right now. I think you know, one example, when I was at the CFPB, uh, the agency spent over three years on a mandatory arbitration rule only to see Congress overturn it and eliminate it altogether. That is literally hundreds and thousands of people hours that basically amount to nothing in terms of regulatory impact. And uh, when I think about incentives with regulators in particular, the question that always comes to my mind is, how do you convince them that your issue has more impact on the people they are, you know, obligated to serve than all of the other competing issues they have to deal with? And how can it command their limited resources on any given day? And also then, how do you persuade them to spend three or four years on it? Because that's often what it takes to change the law. Uh, is that, I mean, is that how you think about incentives in the, in the system as well? Or do you believe in the like corrupt payoffs by, by big wire transfer? No, no, no. I, I agree with you uh, completely. Like I said, it, it's hard for anyone to disagree. With what we're talking about here, there should be more transparency in international finance. Uh, consumers should own their data. Uh, you know, it's just how do you get this on the list of priorities and get it to the top of that list? And that that's what this helps helps create. Like I doubt anyone at the various agencies or or you know policymakers on, on relevant committees in Congress would would disagree much uh, with me on on this topic or or you know with you on open finance. Uh, it's just, how do we make this enough of a priority that they, they take action? That's how, uh, the coalitions, the grassroots engagement, uh, the research, you know, you, you find out, we found out consumers lose $8.7 billion in hidden fees every year. And, and that's, uh, you know, includes members of the military and small businesses and, and all, you know, all those things, white papers, you know, you're, you're, you're elevating the profile of this issue. That's ultimately what helps get it higher on their priority list. The way that you guys are going about this too, does it make sense for other fintech companies to to do it like this? Or is it more of a, you know, Wise is just so big and global and very consumer facing that it works better for you versus someone like Applied, for instance? We, you know, we have a consumer facing product. So that, that certainly unlocks uh, <laughs> a large segment of customers that, uh, you know, other companies that maybe are on the B2B side can't, can't touch uh, directly, but but I even saw something recently that in the 2020 election cycle, Wall Street spent three billion dollars on lobbying and political donations. Now, part of why we're having this discussion today about campaigns, policy, thought leadership, amplifying these ideas, it's because we we can't compete. 
Our sector can't compete. Companies like Wise or Plaid can't compete. How you compete is is you know using all these assets, these tools in the toolbox uh, to, to raise the profile of these issues and, and, and try to make this a priority. And so I do think other other fintechs, uh, if it's true and authentic to who they are and it's something they care about and, and they have a way to, to drive change, they should be thinking about it. But it's not on every issue. We've learned that too. We engage on tons of other things. It's pretty much you know, our, our, our campaigns uh, with our customers and consumers more broadly focus on bringing more transparency to international payments pricing. It's, it's not on necessarily faster payments or expanded access to the payment system uh, or open fa- open finance or all the other things we work on. It, you know, it, it is in this area. And so I think if there's something core to who a company is and, and they have a way to you know drive some policy outcomes by leveraging grassroots support, yeah, maybe they should consider it. Nick, I really appreciate that when Julie asked you, should other companies like Plaid be doing this, you did not take the opportunity to say, yeah, Pitts is bad at his job <laughs> and uh, obviously should be doing this. Uh, well, I will say uh, John is one of the people I admire most. Oh, no, no. Okay. Now now everyone's going to think the yeah. fix is my, in My point is just that like while consumers do end up using Plaid a ton, they don't necessarily know that they're using Plaid. No, I, I think we've done a bunch to make it uh, as clear as possible to every consumer who does interact with Plaid that they're using Plaid. But I do think you're right on that core question of like this strategy doesn't work for every company. And uh, understanding whether this works for you or not I think is probably a key gating mechanism for someone dealing with a – you know, fintech startup deciding, do I want to do thought leadership and policy? Do I want to do it publicly? Do I do a campaign? Um, what are the, I mean, we've talked about the positives. What are the downsides of doing it this way? Other than it sounds, frankly, exhausting to me, Nick. Well, maybe that's a follow-up to your last question of should you, shouldn't you? Uh, you know, there has to be some sort of legislative hook or consumer customer outrage for this to be worthwhile. You know, we have had some learnings leading campaigns around the world and it, you know, it, hitting go is not always the answer. You know, so, sometimes it's not the best use of resources internally. And that, that's something we've learned over over time. Uh, you know, I, I think ultimately, though, uh, you know, there, there's the ability here uh, to have make, make a difference in in policymaking. And that's pretty rare uh, for companies to to work with governments proactively. And I, I know that's been our, our approach. Right. Go to governments proactively. Tell them what you're doing, what you're trying to do, in, instead of uh, you know what some maybe would say, you know, move fast, break things, and ask for forgiveness. Right? We, we'd rather go to them on the front end. So that, that's just been our approach more generally. I want to add. I know we only have two, three minutes left, and this is a topic that we could spend a whole other podcast on. But how are you guys thinking about crypto, DeFi, Web three, and everything heading into 2022? Sure. We, we don't use uh, crypto or blockchain or, or stablecoin as part of our infrastructure. We haven't seen a clear case that that would make international payments faster, cheaper, more convenient or more transparent yet. Right. That's what, that's our mission. That, that's how we uh, that's what guides our, our product uh, decisions. I, th- I think everyone's watching it. But, uh, you know, we've heard the use case for international payments and stablecoins mentioned a lot for us. We haven't we haven't seen that yet to date that it helps us do any of those things I mentioned uh, any better. So you hear, heard it here first, uh, a firm prediction from Nick Catino, Web3 and uh, crypto are not the future. Um, 
what at is at least the future? of international payments uh, at least other of international things maybe payments. but not of international payments yet no nfts are the obvious future for international payments <laughs> um nick what is what is the future what's your big sort of issue for 2022, what are you looking for most that's going to sort of shift the world from an international payments perspective? Uh, I think partnerships. Uh, the, the growth of our WISE platform is, has been really exciting. You know, this is specific to WISE, of course, but you see this industry-wide. I think coming out of the pandemic, as I mentioned earlier, banks, credit unions, large financial institutions and businesses realize their customers want digital solutions. And it takes time to build that strategy and integrate. And I think you will see those partnerships between fintechs and incumbents just explode over the next year because a lot of the a lot of that has has been happening behind the scenes uh, over the last year. I like that one. I like that one. Uh, well, Nick, John, the, thank you for the global head of policies joining this podcast. John, <laughs> we need to find the next global head of policy that will be on here too. Um, you know, Julie, keep, does FinTech today right? have a global head of policy? They don't. I, I'm really Are you tempted. the global head of policy for We're FinTech today? We're putting in plans for 2022, though, and I'm tempted to put this on the hiring list. So it feels like a very important one. <laughs> uh, you can just do what I did and give yourself the title and, you know, make it happen that way. I'll, I'll ask Freya over at, at Plaid if I can make you our de facto global head of policy over here. So then I kind of have one. <laughs> I would gladly accept. Uh, well, thank you so much to Nick for joining us today. This, this is our last episode of 2021. We have many more coming for 2022, but this was a fabulous way to wrap up the year. If you want to find out anything more about FinTech Today, go to fintechtoday.co, sign up for our newsletters, stay up to date on what companies like TransferWise and Plaid are up to. Um, otherwise, everyone, happy holidays, happy new year. And John, I look forward to the more episodes that we're going to have in 2022. Can't wait. Happy new year, everyone. <laughs>